Hello and welcome to the Psychedelic Diaries. I'm your host, Ray Christian, and boy, do we have a doozy of a show for you today. We've got the CEO of Haven Life, Tim Moore, on the show. We'll do a deep dive, a speed round soul search. Producer Kevin is here. But first, as usual, we'll do a nugget and a noodle. So today's nugget is the California state government has more progress with psychedelic legalization. And they say there are two things in the world you never want to see. One is seeing a sausage get made and the other seeing legislation getting made. And that may apply here, but the upshot is progress towards legalization with California psychedelics. So the noodle, something I've been noodling on of late, software patents. Now, there's a reason you never see the really savvy, big, sharp tech companies talking about software patents. Uber, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple. And there's a reason. It is a fool's errand. So a patent needs something very specific. It's called definiteness. Software inherently changes, usually with the good companies, once a week. So you don't really see this with the sharp tech companies. However, in the psychedelic world, they seem to have not gotten the memo just yet. If you see companies talking about digital software patents, alarm bells should probably be going off. Well, that's it for a nugget and the noodle for today. Producer Kevin, do we have Tim on the line? We do. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, if I may direct your attention, he is the CEO of Haven Life. He's a senior executive and board member with 30 years experience in Fortune 500 leadership roles in Canada and the US. He joined Haven Life in April 2020 as CEO, and he is focused on human performance and cognitive health, where Haven is now supplying, uh, building a supply chain of naturally derived psilocybin APIs. Tim, great to have you. Ray, great to be here. Hello. Well, let's dive right in. I'm really impressed with the work, and you have gotten the word out. You're on a few of these top 10 psychedelic companies worldwide. What did you do well to get the word out? Uh, well, first of all, we're passionate. I mean, it's a passionate team to, to be in this space. Um, you have to be committed. Um, everything is hard in the, in the psychedelic space. Uh, it, you're up against complicated regulations. You're up against the stigma of, you know, the, the war on drugs. From time to time, we get treated as for Walter White working in a lab underneath a dry cleaner somewhere. But uh, passion, passion, I think, is is the secret sauce. Um, you know, my my personal passion is driven off of my personal experience with mental health over the last three decades. Um, other members of the team have similar experiences and are as passionate about bringing hope and help to those people with serious mental health issues. I appreciate that. So you guys specifically are focused on LSD and cluster headaches. At least one of the focuses that I've seen. So how did you guys arrive at that compound and that focus? Well, what we're looking for is, is um, something that was unique where we could offer uh, benefit to patients that isn't currently available and also be responsible to our shareholders. That opportunity with the um, uh, patented, back to something you said earlier, um, patented combination of Bolt 148 and an, another um, known compound that is yet un, uh, unnamed by us, um, gives us the ability to invest in the research and, and get the FDA approvals. Um, 
cluster headaches, by the way, are also known as suicide headaches uh, because they're so intense. And they affect, uh, in the United States, 300,000 patients, 60,000 of which have the most severe form. Um, so it's a small group. And none of the big drug companies are really interested in a population that's that small. So huh. um, we're looking at that. I love the niche. Is it uh, is LSD, do you think that has a particular application there with micro dosing or is it a macro full dose? What are you guys thinking? Yeah, so it's actually what's known as Bromo LSD. Um, it's, um, so it's the non-psychedelic derivative of LSD. So you can have the, the, the therapeutic benefit without having a psychedelic experience. Um, and there's been um, work on that compound to show that it, there's efficacy. It needs to go through the, the whole FDA protocol, obviously. But um, given that it's um, a, such a small population, the FDA has um, a protocol, what they call the orphan drug protocol, that gives you an accelerated path to approval because they recognize that if they made it as onerous as they do for something where let's say there's 30 million patients um, that no one would, would go after it. So um, we're seeking the orphan drug designation to give us a quicker path to through the system, um, still with all of the appropriate safety checks and you know um, uh, all of the human trials that are required, but you just get an accelerated path. They say with younger companies, niche, the more niche, the better. So I love it. Uh, and speaking of the focus, I noticed, Tim, you guys have Haven Labs and Haven Retail, and it kind of feels like a two-pronged approach towards the future, but also the now. And I'm curious for you as the leader of the company in the long term, what does success look like for you? Well, really, the the... the the reason we have the two approaches is because compounds are, are some are restricted and some aren't restricted. So some of them will be gone. You know, the lab side is focused on pharmaceuticals and restricted compounds. And, and that takes a specific skill set. Retail is focused on the non-restrictive, but still beneficial products like lion's mane, turkey tail, shaga, rhodiola, those kinds of things where they still um, provide benefits to consumers and to patients, but you don't have to go through the pharmaceutical or prescription path different skill set. It's very much a consumer packaged goods business, which is where my background, 35 years of my experience is in consumer packaged goods. So the two of them are very complementary and they both support what you mentioned earlier is human performance and cognitive health. And so we wanted to make sure that we could cover um, a broad portfolio of, of, of solutions for people so that it's not just a prescription drug. It's not just psychedelic assisted therapy. It can be something more subtle and you know, 74% of consumers are taking nutritional supplements on a regular basis, and they're seeking uh, plant-based alternatives instead of, of pharmaceuticals. So obviously the nutritional supplement side made sense for us as well. I love it. And I'm a big fan of Lion's Mane personally. I may have to try the Haven Life brand. So taking a step back, as you look at this industry, in some ways, it almost feels like the Wild West with all the changes on a daily basis and all the uncertainty as you've now gotten a little bit deeper in the industry, what has surprised you? Well, you know, it's, you're right. The Wild West is probably um, the right uh, metaphor here or the Oklahoma land rush, whichever you want to use, because there's been over 300 companies go public um, in the psychedelic space in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, I'll tell you this, there won't be 300 companies in this space 18 months from now there's going to be consolidation and failure, some combination of the two. Um, and, you know, there's just not enough space 
and, and investors aren't interested in the smaller companies. So if you have a market capitalization under $100 million a year from now, I think you're going to be in trouble. Um, so, you know, it, it's it, what hasn't surprised me is there's been as many players in the space. What has surprised me is how much rhetoric there is and how little action has taken place and how few companies are actually doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Most, of, most of them are talking about what they will do, but uh, very few companies are actually doing. And, and so, you know, our focus has been on execution and doing. We have a lab in Jamaica operational. We've got our first crop in production. We're doing extraction of psilocybin. We're making preparations to export from Jamaica. Um, on the retail side, we've launched our first seven SKUs. They're available at retail. They're on Amazon. They're available on our own .com site. So we, we're taking that rhetoric and making it into revenue um, rather than just talking. Oh, I love that. It's like my old high school football coach said, don't talk about it, be about it. You guys are doing so, Tim, I, I, I love that approach. And I'm curious, you know that you're one of my favorites in this industry. I think Haven has a chance to really make waves. But you particularly, you're one of these guys that uh, wears his heart on his sleeve, you might say. And it kind of reminds me of Ray Dalio over at Bridgewater with the, the radical transparency. How has that approach affected your leadership at Haven? Yeah, you know, I say this all the time. The truth is my shield, right? It's I, I, I'd rather defend the truth than defend a lie. I'll tell you that. Um, and there's, there's a, there's a lot of merit in that, that, that radical transparency. Um, you know, those aren't my words. They're, they're Ray's words, but what I, the way I characterize it is in the values that I bring to my team and the way I, I require us to perform. So, um, you know, I, uh, one of the things I, I, demand is is open direct communication like don't make don't give me hints just tell me what you need to tell me because I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you Um, I also believe in the benefit of constructive conflict Um, if everybody agreed with me then I don't need them what I need are people that think differently and we need to explore possibilities um, and and get to a better solution through that constructive conflict but once we've reached agreement on a path, then it's our plan. It's not your plan or my plan. It's our plan. And we move forward together to execute that. So, um, and I guess, I guess, you know, the other part of that is, is the underpinning of it is treating people with respect and dignity. You know, everybody, everybody is a human being. We're all um, equal in value as human beings. Um, the market values different jobs differently, but we should value each other equally. I love it. And it's you are, I think, one of the experts in escalating from small talk to medium talk. And I think that will bode well in the future. So, okay, Tim, to put you on the spot a little bit, you can pass on this question if you want, but I'm curious, do you have personal experience with psychedelics? And if so, how has that impacted your approach in this industry? So, no, um, I don't have personal experience with, well, I shouldn't say that. I have taken MDMA. So, it was um, it wasn't a um, large dose. I would call it a therapeutic dose, and I was just frankly underwhelmed. Um, um, I have uh, uh, a I have the opportunity to take LSD. I haven't done that, um, and I haven't taken psilocybin. Um, so, um, but I my personal experience, frankly, was dealing with uh, teenagers. Uh, that um, made some bad choices. Um, three of them were together one night, home alone, and all three of them took magic mushrooms. 
um, and nobody stayed sober. And they all had major anxiety issues as a result of it and had to call us and bring us back. We were, we were away at a wedding. We had to come back in an emergency to, to walk them off the walls, which just underscores if you're going to take a psychedelic dose of, of psilocybin, you need a guide with you. You can't do it on your own. You need someone that's got experience in dealing with it because the, the risk of a s- severe emotional episode is quite high. That's why you're taking it. You're, you're, you're trying to transform the, your brain and bring those things into, into, you know, into your consciousness. And, and they might not be pretty when they come forward. So you need a guide there. So um, yeah, I had, I had that experience for sure. Yeah, and I can imagine that being somewhat alarming, especially with young adults. Although I might fight you on the requirement of a guide, I think many people ought to have one. My experience is that not everybody needs one, um, especially as you get more experience in it. But I appreciate where you're coming from. No, but- it's such a funny space where we're in this catch-22, where we're, we're trying to promote this industry, but it's still illegal. And so it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, I'm curious, though, speaking of laws and regulations, thought experiment for you, Mr. Timor. Let's just imagine for a second, you are the drug czar for North America, and you control policy for DEA, FDA, Health Canada, everything. In that scenario, what are the first two things you might do? One of the things that I would do is I would take the um, opioid crisis as seriously as um, we've taken the COVID pandemic. Um, to give you a statistic in the province of British Columbia, where Love we're headquartered, um, in the year 2020, there were more opioid overdose deaths than there were COVID deaths, and we didn't shut down the economy for opioids. So I think that if we could recognize that that is truly a crisis that needs to be dealt with um, and, and mobilize resources against it, and, and really make a change. Don't just arrest people. I mean, you know, the war on drugs is really just a war on patients. Let's, let's get to the root of the problem, which leads to the second thing, which is acknowledging mental health as a crisis. I don't think that that's happened yet. I think that some policymakers are recognizing it. And I think as, as drugs are, I would say, okay, what is it that we can do to address the fact that there have been 4,270 US veterans commit suicide since the beginning of 2021? Why, why, why are we allowing that to happen? Why do we not recognize that as a crisis rooted in mental health, rooted in people self-medicating, rooted in people, you know, um, getting into destructive behavior. And, you know, when, when, when soldiers die in the, um, in the field of battle, there's great ceremony and pomp and circumstance. When they commit suicide, where's their uh, funeral then? I mean, they don't even make the papers. So I think that I would take a look at the, um, I would take a look at the uh, mental health with veterans as sort of the, the harbinger of what's going on. Look at the broader issue of what's happening with young adults that have just been through the COVID crisis that have had years stolen from them. Um, uh, look at all of the people that are, are suffering from anxiety and depression, the billions of dollars in lost productivity, the billions of dollars being spent on pharmaceuticals for people to only get to the point where they're numb enough to get through the day and not truly live their lives. And I would say we need to escalate that entire dialogue and the work around that to what more can we do? And um, as drugs are, and also the CEO of a psychedelics company, that's a bit (laughs) self-serving, but the reality is we know, and we've known since the 50s, that these compounds can provide relief for people and they just haven't, you know, it hasn't crossed the finish line. So um, 
it's uh, th- that's probably the first two things that I would do. I love it. PTSD and mental health. Great focus. So this industry, and, and you just really hit it in a very articulate way, is very polarizing. And yet the applications and the potential, it feels like the sky's the limit. And I'm curious, as someone in the psychedelic industry, you're starting to really see the potential here. What would you say to the average person that isn't as in deep in this industry as we are, that's still quite apprehensive about psychedelics? What might you say to them? Well, first of all, recognize that this is not um, um, a recreational drug. I mean, some people do use it recreational, but recognize that there's been some serious and very legitimate science that's been done over the decades. Uh, places like John Hopkins University, NYU, um, uh, King's College, Imperial College in the UK, and, and many other institutes that have a center for psychedelics. So we're talking about real science done by real people. And, you know, um, several universities have a psychedelic um, faculty. Um, so that, that there's legitimacy there. Thousands of people have been treated and have had benefits from this. It just hasn't been finally approved by the FDA. And, and again, that's because it got caught up in the war on drugs, largely as a backlash against the counterculture and the, you know, Haight-Ashbury asset trip, you know, uh, mindset. So, you know, that's regrettable. And so there's legitimate science here. The second thing is you don't need to have a psychedelic experience in order to have a benefit from these compounds. So, you know, people talk about microdosing. I'd like to change the context into you have a therapeutic dose and you have a psychedelic dose. Okay. Huh. Right. Because nobody microdoses Zoloft. Nobody microdoses, <laughs> right. Nobody microdoses Tylenol. What you do is you take a therapeutic dose of Tylenol, right? So what is a therapeutic dose? And then you can escalate that for other applications. And so with psilocybin, there's a therapeutic dose and then there's a psychedelic dose. And, and I think that's the way we should frame it rather than, you know, the, 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 the um, de rigueur is microdosing and heroic dose. I, I think therapeutic and psychedelic dosing makes more sense because it describes what you're really trying to achieve. So you can be treated for anxiety, depression without having a psychedelic experience. Okay. Tim, that's brilliant. I have never heard that before this therapeutic dose. And I, I it's, it seems like they, out there in the media and just in general, people think it's, it's either a medicinal experience or it's a recreational experience. And it does seem like intentional might be a different caveat or a different niche. And the words we use can be powerful. And I think a therapeutic dose and that analogy to Tylenol is brilliant. I think there's something there. Yeah. And you know, the other thing about that people should know about uh, psychedelics and psilocybin in particular is if we were running ads on NBC right now for a psilocybin treatment, we wouldn't need to have the last 30 seconds of our commercial be the side effects, okay? Mm. Yes. We wouldn't need to do that. So, you know, I, I, find it, it's, it, I find it intriguing that people talk about these drugs that treat this really, really small issue you might have with this big long list of you might die side effects, right? Or, you know, um, uh, so we don't see that with, with psychedelics. There's it's not toxic. It's not lethal. It's not addictive. I mean, psilocybin is less toxic than table salt. So, um, and it, and it isn't an addictive compound and, um, it's, so I think people need to know that as well. And, you know, and you talk about the illegality of it when any new drug is developed. So Pfizer develops a new heart drug, for example, it's illegal until the FDA approves it. Right. 
you can't, you can't, you can't go to your doctor and say, I want a prescription for this drug that Pfizer will have approved in two years. No, you have to wait until it's approved to get the prescription. That's where we are with psilocybin, right? So um, that's what the way people need to think about it. It's, it, it's, and it's, it's not an evil thing. I think, you know, my expectation is we're not going to see a day where there are uh, dispensaries selling psilocybin in North America. I think it will be a prescription uh, application for either daily therapeutic dose or psychedelic assisted therapy, one of the two, um, depending on what you need and what you what you want. Um, but yeah, I don't see this being like cannabis where you go to your dispensary and you pick up your you know, mushroom du jour. I, I just don't see that. Tim, you are an innovator. I love this therapeutic dose concept as opposed to microdose. Okay, well, that's that's all the time we have for the deep dive. Now, we're going to transition to the speed round soul search. And the idea is three questions. If you can, 10 seconds or less on the response. And the idea is just a little bit of a window into the soul of Mr. Tim Moore. But before we get to that, I got to say, congratulations. You recently lost some weight, quite a bit of weight. And I want to say congrats on that. Is there any secret to it? Any trick that you pulled off to all that weight that you shed? Well, you know, I tell people that it was a combination of 10,000 steps a day and wearing the Fitbit and drinking uh, four quarts of water a day um, and cutting back on alcohol. But the truth is, it was a change in attitude. That's what it was. I had to, I had to get my mind in the place where I wanted to get more fit and get healthy and take care of myself. Um, two years ago, I was in a dark place, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and I had to choose, do I stay in the dark place, which has not a great outcome, or do I reinvent myself and go somewhere different? So, uh, I lost 110 pounds. I went from 44% body fat to 14% body fat. I got fit. Um, I found a woman who, who loves me and I'm in love with her and we're getting married in uh, two weeks. So, um, a lot has changed in two years. Yeah. And, wow. I'm, and I'm Ray, I'm happier now than I can actually ever remember being. So, you know, I transformed myself, but it started with that change in attitude that, no, I don't want to be in that dark place anymore. I want to, I want to live the rest of my life to the uh, greatest enjoyment that I can and bring as much joy to other people as possible. Wow. Congratulations. And things are clearly looking up for you, Mr. Moore. Okay. So let's transition. Three quick questions, 10 seconds or less, if you can, to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay, okay. question number one. You walk around the block, you step into the bar, pull up a stool, <clears throat> and up next to you is God. And he says, hey, Tim, I have to run, but I'll answer one question if you want to ask me. What is the one question that you would ask God? Um. If you love mankind, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much pain? Okay. Question number two. Imagine for a second time travel is possible. Technology's out there, but it's a little bit glitchy. You get to go back 10 years to Tim Moore from 10 years ago, but you only get 10 seconds to talk to him or tell him something. It can't be financial, like invest in Bitcoin or anything like that. What would you tell Tim 10 years ago? Stop being unhappy, change your life, get healthy, get rid of the things that are pulling you down. Mm, that's good. That's really good. Okay, final question. Kind of a cousin of that last question. 
So time travel is possible, but not yet. So all of a sudden, Tim Moore from 10 years in the future zaps into today. What do you think that Tim from the future might tell you? Uh, I'm pretty sure he'd say thanks for getting yourself in shape so that I had these last 10 years, because quite frankly, Ray, I might not be alive today if I hadn't done it. Mm. So That is brilliant. Okay, Tim, where can we find you? Where can we follow you? Any action items for the listeners? Um, you can find me at pavenlife.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, uh, feel free to message me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to respond. I'm pretty responsive to anything there. Timothy D. Moore on LinkedIn. And um, you can see videos of me if you go to YouTube and uh, search for Tim Moore and Haven Life. There's probably 20 videos up there of me talking about psychedelics and related topics. Um, so there's lots of ways to reach me. Mr. Tim Moore, we'll put those links in the bio and the YouTube and in the podcast here. Thank you so much for joining. What a pleasure. One of the true innovators in this space, CEO of Haven Life, Mr. Tim Moore. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Ray.